Well, uh, last year, you know, lots of things happened. It was a good year in many ways, a difficult year in many ways, a bit of everything, but we finished the year very strongly. We had probably one of the best Christmases here we have, we've ever had. And, and we were all completely exhausted at the end of it, but it was absolutely wonderful. All the events that you guys helped facilitate and run were just phenomenally successful. If you came to the five o'clock carol service, I mean, it got to the point where people were just arriving and arriving and arriving, and it was, it was getting scary, to be honest. We were all rammed in there. And then, you know, the seven o'clock, it, it was actually, you know, quite, quite nice. So uh, word, if, if you came to the five o'clock carol service last year and thought, boy, this is busy, come to the seven o'clock next year. But having said that, it was so wonderful to have this place rammed to the gills with people. We saw people come and get saved over Christmas. You know, we had 150, as I think Richard mentioned last week, 150 guests, 150 guests on Christmas Day for dinner here. It was an astounding thing. That's just, just incredible. So, Lord, to you be the glory. We are so grateful to be part of something where you are at work, your kingdom is coming, and Christ is being lifted up. Thank you, Lord. Amen to that. Amen. Now, if, if there's anything that I feel and we feel, and we've talked about this quite a lot amongst the staff and leaders, it's not just I came up with this last Tuesday. This is something that's been growing really since about, around about the middle of last year. And it's both challenging and exciting, as well as being something you know, uh, that is a bit, of a, a bit of a, wow, I mean, gosh, I hope that we can manage this. And this little statement that I kind of summarized, and I brought it back from my sabbatical, those of you who've been around for a few months will know, I came back, did, and I said that I thought that the Lord had said to me something, and I was actually, on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration in Israel, Mount Tabor, and there were a number of things he said to me, but about the church, he said this very clearly, that he said, God the Father, he said, I am, he's using first person, God the Father is determined to glorify his son, Jesus, through the vineyard in 2012. And I, I was so thrilled about that and encouraged but again and again, the Lord said, it was as if I didn't understand, he kept saying, no, you, you don't understand, Chris. I am absolutely determined to glorify my son Jesus through the vineyard. Not just in 2012, but whenever. And as I thought about it, I realized that that was the purpose of the church. Actually, the church is to bring glory to Jesus. You know, the people of God in, in the Old Testament, the Hebrews, they were distinctive. They were, they were set apart by God. We'll talk about a little, a little bit more about this in just a moment. But the thing that really made them distinctive was not just that they were chosen by God, but that they carried the law of God. Moses brought the Ten Commandments, and around that they built the Torah, the law. And this was what made them distinctive. This was one of the very cores of their faith, and still is to the Jewish believer to this day. You know, it, it's the law that makes them distinctive. What is different about the people of God, the, the Christian, those of us who are now followers of the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus, what is distinctive is that God has put his law upon our hearts. He says he will do this. He says he will put his law upon our heart. And whilst we are people of the book, we read the word of God, God puts his spirit within us. And that makes us distinctive. That we are followers of Jesus, that we are, that, that we are excited and have embraced what we call the gospel, the good news about 
his forgiveness of us and his salvation of us, but that we are, we are also filled with his Holy Spirit. And, and, and these testimonies you hear are, are simply evidences. The scripture calls them signs and wonders. Signs and wonders. Things that indicate that God is alive. God is in the church and God is for the world. And so this year as we come into this, and I'm gonna be showing this a little bit more at the leaders meeting on Tuesday evening, you know, we, we wanna say that we're gonna be passionate about Christ this year. Not just interested or engaged with or for, but passionate about Christ, passionate about community, and passionate about his cause. Passionate about Christ, his community, and his cause. And I'm praying that God would raise the spiritual temperature in me, begin with me, Lord, but, be, but carry it through with us. Raise the spiritual temperature, Lord God, so that we might be on fire for you. The, the word of God says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not put out that fire. You know, Paul says to Timothy, you know, fan into flame the gift that was given to you through the laying on of hands. You know, it's all too easy just to coast, and I, I've, I'm done with coasting. I, I want to be passionate about these things. And so we're going to be looking at, at these areas, you know, Christ, community, cause, and what have you during the course of this year, and we're going to begin the year with a new series. We're starting it next week. It's called Mosaic, Redefining Community. The reason we feel that there's such a sense of urgency about that is that there is a very strong felt need in our society for community. You know, dear David Cameron said, Britain is broken. You know, people are beginning to say it's all falling apart. But actually what isn't falling apart is the Church of Jesus Christ. There was a wonderful article in the Telegraph. I don't take the Telegraph myself, but a friend of mine, Aunt Rist at Forest Town, forwarded it to me. A long article on the state of the church in Britain in this year beginning of this year, a long article, and the church has, is no longer in decline. The church is actually growing in numbers. Do you know in the Anglican church alone, in any given month, 1.7 million people will attend church this year, th this month. This month in the Anglican church. That's not taking into account the Catholics, it's not taking into account the new churches of which, broadly speaking, we're a part. 1.7 million. You know, 10 years ago, they were saying that in 10 years' time, you couldn't find two Methodists to rub together. They would, and they were saying that the Anglican church was down to about 400,000 a month in terms of attendance. It's extraordinary. Why is that happening? It's because people are perceiving that our society is beginning to creak at the seams. People are beginning to, 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 to come to the conclusion that there's more to life than online shopping. That actually, there's something deep within them and people are looking for community. And sometimes that means joining one of these kind of, you know, um, anyone can come choirs on a Tuesday night or, 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 or joining the bowls club or, or joining whatever. People are joining clubs and, and trying to connect. But just going to a, you know, a club on a Tuesday night, whatever the, 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 the joint purpose, is it, just not going to do it because community is something that is profound. 
something that is deep within us. And so we're going to be, and I mustn't use this word because Fliss says it's so old-fashioned, we're going to be unpacking. That's the word I mustn't use, right? Okay. Mustn't say unpacking. We're going to be looking at community, redefining community, and the purpose, we've, we've entitled it Mosaic because when you look at a mosaic, very often it's broken bits of glass, broken bits of tile, broken bits of pieces that are all worked together by the artist, and something beautiful is designed, and we're all broken. We've all got chips, we've all got cracks, we've all got flaws, but God, by his spirit among us, melds us and molds us and transforms us into something that is beautiful, that something that represents his son Jesus to the world. That's an awesome thing. That's an awesome thing. So if there's a little verse I want you to take away with you today, it would be this, 1 Peter 2, verse 9, and it'll come up on the screen here. Lovely, one of my favorite verses is this, of which I have many. I've actually just put it on my tweet. I've just started tweeting again, by the way. Rev Chris Lane, so if you're a tweeter, you can follow me. I'm trying to do a sort of a blessed thought every day. I, I started two years ago, but uh, gave up because I started following people like Barack Obama and people like that, and they were always about to meet, you know, you know President so-and-so and discuss world politics, and I was just about to budge in to buy a pint of milk, you know. And I just, I can't compete, I forget it, you know. I can't do this tweeting thing, you know. My life was not full of that kind of stuff. But I thought, no, I mean, I can use it. I, you know, I get 142 characters, it's just about a verse of scripture. I thought, well, I can do that, we can do that. We can do that together and it'll aid the, the social cohesion of the community. And I, I can tweet you and you can tweet me and it'll all be a lot of fun, so they tell me. <laughs> At least that's what my wife tells me. <laughs> Rev Chris Lane. This is one of my favorite verses, particularly when it comes to community. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that you may declare a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Anyone who has begun a journey with Jesus will have that sense, you'll struggle, if it's authentic, if it's genuine, you'll, have, you'll, you'll struggle to find words to describe the difference, but you'll know the difference is there. And many have found that that expression, being called out of darkness into his wonderful light, seems to resonate, seems to ring a bell, seems to connect in some way. We, we have this, sense of moving from one state to a new and better and more wholesome state. And thank God for it. But let's just look at some of these, these titles that, that Peter here addresses the church by. Those of you who know your Bibles a little bit will know that in Exodus 19, when the people of God are at Mount Sinai, and Moses has led them out of Egypt, he's brought them to Mount Sinai, they're about to receive the Ten Commandments, and prior to that, God speaks to them, and he says to them these very things, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and Peter is deliberately taking that language that would have been so familiar to so many in the day, and he's redefining it, saying we, we are no longer ruled by the law, we are a people who live by the gospel of grace, 
And God places his spirit within us. And what's more, both Jew and Gentile, young and old, fat and thin, whatever, God himself has chosen you. Why don't we just say, God has chosen me? One, two, three, God has chosen me. And it's not that he's just chosen me. Jesus said, he said, you did not choose me, I have chosen you. That is so good to know when you're feeling a little bit down on yourself, when this week has not been such a good week. It is so good to know that Christ himself has chosen you. You are not here by accident. He is whispering, he's drawing you, he's calling you, he has chosen you. But it's not just a personal, individual thing, although indeed the scripture says he knows us each by name. He knows, in fact, the very numbers of the hairs on our head. But he has chosen us. Would you indulge me? Would you please say, God has chosen us? God has chosen us. There's selection here. He knows us warts and all, and yet he chooses us. And Peter goes on to say this. He says, he says that not only are you a chosen people, you are a royal priesthood. Thanks, Matt, a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. Now, you know, when we think about priesthood, well, we think about guys in, 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 in cassocks and surpluses and all the trappings of the priesthood. Yeah, you know, you know as, as, you, as you know, as it happens, I, I am a priest in that sense, in that functional sense. I was ordained in 1982, and I was ordained in, in bishop, uh, by a bunch of bishops in Ripon Cathedral. I was ordained an Anglican priest, and I still hold those holy orders to this day. Some people don't know that. I still hold those. I can wear a dog collar and do all the rest of it. It's, but the reality is that the... Peter is not alluding to the fact that some people are called to full-time ministry. He's talking to us, the church. He says, you are a royal priesthood. And what, is he, what is he getting at there? What does he mean? What is this redefinition of priesthood, the people of God being a priesthood, a royal priesthood, no less? It's essentially this, the priest is a mediator. The priest mediates between God and man. The priest represents God to the world. The priest is the one that is the counsel, the one that listens to the pain of the world. The priest is the one who prays for the world. The priest is the one that carries the world on his or her heart. And that's how God sends us, this cho a chosen people, a community that is sent into the world to care for the world. That's why I love the fact that we had 150 people in here on, on Sunday. But people get cared for in this place on every day of the week. I kid you not. People get cared for in this place on Sundays, of course. Friends, neighbors, strangers. Mums get dragged along and down to the front to get prayer for hurting backs. People get cared for. And that's the way the church should be because we are his body, another biblical image. We are his body here on earth. We are to represent God to the world. That's why Jesus prays fervently on the night of his betrayal. He says to the Father, he says, Father, you know, may they be one as we are one. 
Because as they are one, as they love one another, so the world will know that they are my disciples. That's why this issue of community is, not, is so much more than coziness and comfort. That's why this learning to love one another business, deferring to one another, being accountable to one another is so critically important. Another image of the scriptures, it says that the church is like a city on a hill. It can't be hidden. People look at us and they say to us, either, wow, there is a God in heaven, or my goodness, I wouldn't darken that place is still a bunch of weirdos. But it's, it's the quality, not the coolness, the quality of our love that people see and are drawn to. So we are a holy priesthood. But the other thing, it doesn't stop there, is that Paul goes on to say that we are a holy nation. A holy nation. The word holy here does not mean something like an icon or a cross in the church or a chapel. Holy means separate, set apart, dedicated to, given to. Something that is, is, is a treasured possession. In fact, Paul actually uses, Peter actually uses that, that uh, expression in this verse, God's special possession. We, if we're for the world, we're also for him. He is the lover. Boy, that is intimate and intentionally intimate. That is intimate. He is the lover of our soul. God is our lover. Read the book of Solomon. It'll make your eyes water and you'll feel guilty reading it. It's very, very intimate, very, very dare I say, sexually explicit. There is that sense of connection, real intimacy. So the community of Christ is not just one that meets on a church on Sunday and eats donuts. The community of Christ is one that is for the world. It models the kingdom, the, the age to come to the world at a time when all is darkness, all is falling apart. But more than that, it's not just a bunch of do-gooders going out there and being nice to people. We are called, first and foremost, to be with him. We are a holy nation, a people set apart from God, his own precious possession, his family. That's why he calls us by name. That's why he calls us son, daughter. Look to the left, look to the right, for these are your brothers and your sisters. So we have an exciting adventure ahead of us this year, passionate about Christ, passionate about community, passionate about his cause. And we'll spend these first few weeks running up to Easter redefining community so that we might learn to do it better. And as we do that, the light within us that Christ has placed within us will shine all the brighter. And we will not be able to hide. We will not be able to put our light under a bushel, another biblical image. We will be like a city on the hill. And people in these dark and difficult times will find the light of Christ irresistible. Praise God. Why don't we just stand and pray and get Sam and the team to come up and...
We'll worship him again. We're his people before we go off for lunch. Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you to you because you have something in mind for us and we want it. You have it in mind to be this, this to be a place of healing, a place of supernatural healing, a place of restoration. Restoration takes time and effort and it's hard work. But Lord God, give us the grace to be up for it. A place of restored relationship with you and with one another. A place where we move from darkness into light and we do it together. So please, dear God, bless us and empower us and give us your grace, Lord God, for that which lies ahead. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.